I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. Safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. That's what this is all about. With the climate situation as it is right now, plus many other factors, it's never been more important for us to continue to improve the sustainability of the way that we're moving goods and people. At the same time, we need to improve safety for drivers and pedestrians, and we need to get these solutions in the hands of the people who need them need them most. So that's what I cover. Primarily interviews, I'm talking to the people who are developing and implementing, covering these technology solutions. Also, my day job, this podcast is brought to you by FEV. FEV is your complete vehicle engineering partner for sustainable energy and mobility solutions. We're the engineering technology partner behind a lot of what you see on the road and elsewhere. Shoot me a note if you want to learn more. Check out FEV.com. Check us out on LinkedIn. Today's guest is Porter Harris. Porter is CEO and founder of Power Global. In previous roles, Porter has a wealth of battery expertise, so he was the uh, lead battery pack designer at SpaceX, chief battery engineer at Faraday Future. He started a company, Romeo Power Technology. And through this, and I think part of the interesting aspect of this discussion was his breadth of experience in the development of battery packs and an electrified propulsion system. So SpaceX, obviously space applications, uh, Faraday Future kind of sports car type application. He's worked on forklifts and kind of everything in between. So now this Power Global, so they... They have the, the mission is bringing access to affordable, reliable electric mobility solutions across the world, including emerging markets such as India, Thailand, Sri Lanka, and others. And this is the interesting part is so they're focusing now initially on these emerging markets, essentially electrified rickshaws is, is the, the product that we're talking about here. And really, I think this was a, a fun discussion because we were able to talk about this market in a, uh, these markets in a level of depth that I, I haven't been able to go in this podcast and uh, Porter has, you know, a, t- a ton of expertise here in understanding okay, why, what's different about these. Why is it so important that there is something done to clean up the, the way people in these markets are moving around? What's unique about what they're offering? Um, the, what goes into battery packs? So after all of the other things he's worked on, what, what's interesting now about developing battery packs and the propulsion system that goes around along with that for rickshaw applications in on road in these emerging markets. So I guess without any further ado, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with, with Porter Harris. I, really, really fun, fun discussion, interesting guy. And uh, yeah, please enjoy. Today I'm joined by Porter Harris. Porter, thanks for coming on. Yeah, much appreciated, Brandon. It's uh, great to be on. Yeah, this will be a, uh, I think a fun discussion. So a little bit of a, so within yeah, cer- certainly the sustainable mobility space, uh, I think, and a, a different take on it. So with, with that being said, could you kind of introduce yourself and what you're working on, your, your background? Yeah, just a real quick background. I've been in electrification now for almost 15 years, actually over 15 years working on, uh, you know, electrification, lithium-ion batteries for space applications, automotive applications, um, you know, working on the batteries for SpaceX and, uh um, last company did, you know, basically battery designs for forklifts and Ferrari, you know, Lamborghini type designs, these kind of work. And really now focused on, you know, bringing these solutions to the rest of the world. And uh, I think making what I see is a, a bit more of an impact than, uh, than what, you know, what I was doing before. Yeah. And so could you, I, I guess let's, first, can you explain what you're doing at, uh, 
at Power Global, and then we I'll have some battery discussions because you your questions because you already kind of piqued a, an interest there. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, so uh, you know, been doing batteries for a long time. Uh, been looking at uh, other markets to see where I can make the the greatest impact. Was you know, a couple of years ago, about five years ago, traveling throughout uh, India, Haiti. Just a, a lot of uh, you know emerging markets, Africa. See, you know, kind of where this uh, this technology could play, and uh, really just fell in love with uh, with India and and what uh, you know was going on there, and saw a huge potential for that market. And so, um, you know, looking at that market, you, you have what I saw was the low hanging fruit of applications, which is the uh, auto rickshaw out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, predominantly, you know, there's about five million in country. You have people relying on them daily from a taxi service um, uh, standpoint, and uh, and and really just uh, it's really definable kind of uh, uh, challenge, right? So, over the last uh, two years, we've been working on developing a solution for that market, and we've created a retrofit kit that uh, converts uh, the, uh, about ninety percent of those vehicles into performance electric vehicles for about one third the cost. And then uh, along with that, you know, eliminated the battery cost and offering a subscription model, which saves the, the user about 35% uh, operating costs a day. So the first and foremost, we had to make it, you know, cost effective. And then, of course, you know, you get the benefits of that. India is, you know, out of the 16 most, most polluted cities on Earth, India is 14 of them and predominantly in northern India. And so, you know. Being able to take care, you know, of the any particular matter, two point five microns, uh, relatively that size, I think, you know, which is the one that has the most uh, detriments to your health. You know, taking care of that and and uh, is you know what we're all about. So yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of a lot of places to to dig deeper. So it's the first first one, I guess, for anyone who's listening who can't picture an auto rickshaw. Can you uh, kind of paint a picture of, of what we're talking about here? Yeah, definitely. I mean, these are these are vehicles that kind of were evolved out of, you know, the standard uh, rickshaw kind of, you know, two wheeled carriage that someone would carry around with, you know, two arms in front of the vehicle, like a uh, beast of burden kind of thing going on. And then they were slowly evolved as technology came in to have, you know, motorcycles and then kind of evolved in, in, into this like motorcycle with two wheels, you know, three wheel type mm-hmm. thing. So um, yeah, predominant, uh, you know, you see them in, you know, India, Southeast Asia, parts of Africa now. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you go to Thailand, uh, even the Philippines has a certain version of it as well. So, um, you know, you're looking at the, you know, the rest of the world is pretty much predominantly looking at uh, two wheeler, three wheeler type of transportation. Um, and so, you know, these are pretty, pretty mainstays in these areas. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, pollution and, and air quality, and I, I mean it's, it's somewhat counterintuitive because I think yeah, two two and three wheelers they're a lot lighter. You don't have heavy SUVs and pickup trucks driving around the, the street, but right. But at the same time, the uh, efficiency and after treatment systems are, as I understand, it, nowhere near what you would see in North America, Europe, etc. No, no, definitely not, because you, you you know you basically have the continuation of the motorcycle, you know, two stroke you know, and, you know, working on emissions is not uh, the highest priority of, of most yeah. of these countries. So, um, you know, it is the two, two, two stroke is 
pretty well phased out within these uh, regions, but you still do have uh, a pretty good amount of uh, petrol and diesel solutions out there with a, a good mix of uh, CNG in the areas as well. But uh, again, it's still you know fossil fuel based and still emissions coming out of the tailpipe. So, so what? So the, the theory is so it's a retrofit solution, right? So so you're taking an existing auto rickshaw that's driven by some. Uh, internal combustion system, internal combustion system, and uh, you're making it all, all battery electric. Um, what, what's involved in this kit? Is this a, an integrated battery pack along with the electric drive module or? Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I think it's actually worth starting off first is, uh, you know, the, the first product we're really coming to market with is the easy battery module, which is a subscription-based uh, battery. And we're using that as a direct replacement for lead acid battery solutions actually in country. So there's about 2 million of these uh, e-rickshaws and they're going through lead acid batteries somewhere between six and nine months. Uh, You know, so it's a pretty hefty cost, uh, you know, from a monetary standpoint, but also from an environmental standpoint, because recycling those is uh, pretty toxic. uh, So they're using lead acid as the primary um, battery storage system for a battery electric vehicle. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. And so we come in with our um, uh, our swapping solution, and uh, it's it's a, pretty much a direct uh, drop in with a, a little bit of a um, you know a display and a feature to kind of manage the system in general. But uh, it it allows our solution to get into the market and you know as soon as possible and and really start making a, a difference. Um, so um, yeah, we're really excited about that, and we're you know releasing that first uh, uh, up in the Delhi area um, NCR. So indeed, um, why why was so? I assume lead acid battery was kind of the default from from cost cost purposes. Uh, what can you can you speak? And I think you already hinted at some some of these points uh, about the, the swappable nature and the subscription service service. But how does that make it so that there is now a, a viable option for lithium ion in, in these markets that are so cost driven? Yeah, again, it's uh, it's taken the the cost of the the immediate cost of the battery solution out of the uh, the equation and kind of um, you know driving it over over a time period, right? And and creating the subscription model so is a you know weekly payment method and you know electrification as far as you know when it comes to uh, comparative you know petrol based uh, propulsion is you know has a better uh, cost per you know the full. Um, solution cost, right? So, when you can take out the the immediate upfront cost and and, and extrapolate over time, you know now you're you're taking advantage of the the true benefits of of that solution. And so, um, you know, by and then it just you know at this stage where battery costs are at and everything else, we are now lower as far as the solution goes relative to to lead acid batteries and. And, um, and that solution. So you were really excited about it. And, you know, when we go to, to the market and we talk to, you know, these uh, um, uh, drivers, they're extremely excited about it. They just like, can we have it tomorrow? You know, it's, uh, it's kind of a, an amazing situation here. So. Yeah. So, so do you know, so the, the weekly subscription costs that you're, uh, your price that you're planning to pay, do you have a feel for exactly how, what, whether it's the lead acid, um, electric vehicle version or the the conventional one kind of what what that roi or uh what what that calculation looks like for the the owner and driver yeah the the roi is uh is really quick uh, we want it to be as quick as possible it's somewhere around a year right now 
to give you an idea a little bit more on the market, um, you're looking at an individual making somewhere between five and ten dollars a day. Um, and so, you know, when you go to to uh, get a whole new set of batteries, right? You're looking at at least uh, somewhere between a hundred and and twenty five dollars per per battery, right? And so, it does uh, add up a lot when you're looking at the relative costs of what they're what they're bringing in per day and what these solutions uh, are, are are costing them. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're we're definitely you know saving them somewhere around. Uh, um, I think it was about fifteen hundred dollars a year, something like that, at this point. Which, you know, again, you you scale it to to relative cost, and that's a, a fairly good saving. So, yeah. I, what's, I don't know if you if you're sharing this publicly, but the the capacity of this this battery pack is this like a, a one two kilowatt hour pack or like how how big does this need to be to serve the needs that you're going after? Yeah, it, it is. It's uh, so we have uh, we have all the data sheets on our website. Um, the uh, the battery currently is a 72 volt solution. We also have a 48 volt solution as well with the same form factor utilize the same infrastructure, everything else. So it's a kind of a two in one. Um, it is a two and a half kilowatt hour battery. Um, and uh, it's roughly you know, 13 kilograms worth of weight. So we're somewhere just below 200 watt. Um, but and it's, it's incorporating all the different uh, safety features. And uh, I would say all the different uh, aspects that we employed from past experience to, you know, the battery docking with the International Space Station, right? Um, making sure that it is the safest and most reliable solution on the market. And so, um, you know, being being runaway fault tolerant, I would say, is a, a big one. I think that, you know, all battery engineers and engineering should be centered around this, right? So, um you can't always control your supply chain and you can't always control it that well. Right. So if you have an internal cell short, like you should be engineering for that. Like if you're not, I think you're doing it wrong. Right. So, you know, uh, if a single cell goes on thermal runaway with our, within our assembly, it will not propagate to the other cells. Um, these are just kind of the, the, the types of, you know, safety features that we're incorporating into this, this battery. Right. Um, we really want to be the safest and, and most reliable on the market. Yeah, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts. So, so time back to the the SpaceX SpaceX experience. So I so with with my job with FEV, so we do a lot of battery development for automotive ground applications, and then also been involved in some some aircraft type applications. And that leap in itself is, is pretty interesting in the functional safety requirements and the thermal propagation um, requirements. Like like you were saying, I mean, when you have one or more cells in in a runaway situation, not propagating that and not having the whole pack, um, go into a, a thermal event, but how, uh, right. Yeah. Uncontrolled what, disassembly is that, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so what's that look like from, uh, like a, a SpaceX type application? So is it similar the the requirements for space as, um, like aircraft or I gotta assume it's even harder. Yeah, it, it it really depends on the criticality of uh, of the application and uh, whether or not it's a kind of a, a mission driven application, yeah. right? Whether or not you have a, a single or double fault tolerant system. So, um, I would imagine because you know there are you know it's a manned situation that you're looking at at least a, a double fault tolerant system. 
um, and and ensuring that you can get uh, you know people to a, a safe location or, or get at least to a safe uh, situation. So um, yeah, I mean that's uh, it's it's fun, but you know it, it does drive up a lot of costs, right? So when you incorporate these things into say a terrestrial application and especially one for emerging markets, right? Like, yeah. you know, we won't have, uh, you know, triplicate strings for sensing and we, you know, we, there's a lot of redundancy that we're going to eliminate in it, but it's still the same principles that, that we are, you know, guided by in, in developing these systems. So, um, but is, I, you know, I think that, uh, it, it's funny the overlapping aspects of, of what we're doing and what we're applying to it, but I, I think it does give us, you know, a real edge on on the market having this kind of experience just to understand the extremes of of the technology, right? And and being able to apply them accordingly. So yeah, or even the other the other uh, you mentioned like a forklift type application. So comparing these different applications, the boundary conditions are are, are so different, and I don't know weight tolerance and cost tolerance that very far on the on the sliding scales yeah exactly i mean it's so funny you said the fork cliff because that one was actually even more of a pain in my butt than uh actually working on like a you know design pack for one of these performance you know automotive companies you know it was and it was mostly because we're integrating a battery into an existing you know lead acid battery solution you know so we had to deal with kind of the uh the, the the past aspects of, of those systems in, in order to make that work. So um, just completely different uh, voltage windows and um, operating standpoints. So yeah. So so thinking about and maybe translating that now to your your uh, application in emerging markets. So retrofit solution replacing a lead acid battery with a, a lithium ion. I guess two questions. So one, how how similar are the hookups the the ter- terminals and, and and such how how big of a mechanical change is there and then also energy density i i believe um this isn't necessarily my area of expertise but i believe lithium ion is more dense so that's it's not a problem from packaging but but how do you how do those two things work yeah we we, we can fit the full solution within a space of of half the batteries they have now right yeah. so it's, it's pretty we are saving them a lot of weight as well at the same time because of that. Right. So it's basically, you know, you could scale it as like half, right. So half the, uh, half the volume and half the weight more or less. So, um, and and so, you know, the biggest things that we have to take into account, which is kind of funny, it goes back to the forklift experiences really, you know, dropping in a, a lithium on battery solution to an existing lead acid battery solution, and uh, optimizing the system from that standpoint. And so it's, it really just comes down to like, you know, making sure that uh, the rest of your powertrain can operate, you know, at the, at the voltages that you're introducing in and then having, you know, secondary form of state of charge indicator. It's really just kind of that, that, yep. that, that simple, right? So, um, but uh, I mean, I, it, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how about the, uh, so we've talked a decent amount about the, the technology that goes into all this. I'd also be curious to get your thoughts on kind of the, the business aspect and all that went into defining the solution and also kind of the roadmap for, for growth after this initial application. So can, can you speak to the, uh, yeah, what, what was the process like for defining, okay, this, this is what we're going to do. We're going after the emerging market. We're going to have a, a battery pack uh, drop-in solution and a 
recurring revenue subscription model? Like what, what went into all this research or how do yeah. you think about it? Yeah, we've, we've been, I mean, this is predominantly what I've been doing over the last couple of years is, is market research, right? I mean, I sold all my SpaceX stock to, to start this company and um, I wanted to make sure that this was the right, right path, right? I want to make sure that we had the right business model and this thing was going to be successful. So, um, you know, did a lot of upfront research, did uh, over 150 different surveys throughout India, um, just, uh, um, you know, seeing what the drivers, you know, it was like an hour long interview process per, per driver. Like we talk to them, see, you know, basically just understand the market conditions and understand the problem set. And then, you know, really go into this thing with a, a clear mind about what the, the solution looks like and really just trying to find what the problem is first and foremost before we, you know, introduce the solution. So, um, yeah, about, uh, about uh, a year in was when we really started, you know, fine tuning the, the, what the solution looks like based on all this, uh, all this feedback from the market and, and, uh, and, and working that out. And I think taking the other business models that we saw in country as well, that were, and were not working yeah. and incorporating that as well. So I, ultimately we do have, I think the most unique, and I would say a completely, you know, independent solution than what everyone else has. I don't see anyone else with the solution we have once we fully roll out what we're rolling out. So, um, and it is just, I think just a proper, proper planning and, and, uh, and attention to these kind of details. So I assume it's cells that are directly like there's not discrete modules within the size pack. It's, it's just cells to pack level or how, yeah, because because the, the module is so small, um, yeah. it just you know it's basically sell sell a module. But again, you know, I, I love that you mentioned that because you know if we're doing anything much larger, you know, sell to pack is definitely the way to go from an optimization standpoint of of your design. And again, though, it's I really only recommend that for people that know what they're doing because it's just uh, throwing in all all the problems you you run into all in one you know solution, which can be you can't just turn rather, off a module. They're rather expensive from a development standpoint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you better know what you're doing already from a process standpoint. And you should know that, right? As a you you're a process engineer, right? I think I remember looking back. So yeah, at Boeing before before FEV, I was a process engineer. Yeah. Exactly. So you gotta you gotta have those nailed down pretty well before you start doing the full thing. So so what what degree then? So it sounds like you guys are doing all the the system, I guess component system level design, but uh is it off the pack? Shell, sell BMS or like how much are you guys getting off the shelf from existing suppliers? Yeah, we're, we're doing pretty much everything ourselves. I mean, um, it's, uh, the, yeah, so the, the BMS is all ours at this standpoint. Um, all the circuitry, the firmware that's being developed there, the full battery module design, um, the, uh, a lot of the powertrain right now is off the shelf, um, just from a MVP standpoint and getting, you know, the product out the market and really just discovering what the, the best solution looks like. And then we'll start probably bringing a lot of that in-house um, with the expertise we have. You know, I hired, I hired a, a few friends of mine and uh, a lot of very experienced professionals in the space. Um, you know, for instance, uh, Nader, uh, power electronics engineer I've been working with, I've known for about 13 years 
just came off of a, a program doing a high altitude aircraft and and uh, working all the the electronic systems for that. So um, doing our own motor controller um, and uh, doing a lot of the you know the charger aspects that we're incorporating and everything. So yeah. I think well the the key is to to try and um, you know the 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 market is is conforming to this uh, you know very um, cost driven market. And so we need to own, I, I see that it from a supply chain standpoint as much as possible. And, uh, to, in order to be, you know, extremely competitive in this market. So, especially since we're dealing with such high volumes, uh, in this market again too. So, um, getting to a million vehicles a year is, you know, pretty much what most, uh, vehicle manufacturers are doing. So. Yeah. And so the manufacturing then is, is going to be in-house in India. Yeah, we have a we have a current the current R and D facility here in the states with a, a prototype manufacturing line where we're doing you know roughly fifty batteries a day, um, and then we're uh, in the process of you know bringing that full manufacturing facility out in uh, in India, where we're looking at probably about uh, four hundred thousand batteries modules a day out of that, including any of the accessories and, and parts of the the kit. So is the kind of thinking about the long-term plan. So I know we're talking about kind of retrofit first here. And then it, it sounds like you're already talking about like a supplier or like the, the other components of the propulsion system is the stopping point to try to become kind of an integrated propulsion system supplier to existing OEMs, or do you want to become a, a full kind of integrated E rickshaw or um, auto rickshaw supplier? Say the goal first and foremost is to get these get a really reliable solution out there, grow the um, energy as a service model, and see where that takes us. Um, whether you know, at this point, working with the OEMs and, and incorporating our solution into theirs to me makes the most sense. And and going that path, you know, if that doesn't work out, you know, we do have some thoughts on some other aspects of that, but. Uh, Ultimately, you know, um, bringing this uh, solution globally, right? Looking at the India market, looking at surrounding markets, uh, um, you know, where, you know, starting with the the auto rickshaw um, out of, uh, let's say, Sri Lanka or Bangladesh or Nigeria, and then the rest of Southeast Asia and and looking where this goes. But uh, again, it's the, the same energy as a service model works for not just the three wheelers, but also two wheelers. So yeah. that's what I'm most excited about is you can easily get somewhere around hundred to 120 kilometers of, of range with that. How's the, uh, the, the sales process look, look like, so the, I, it sounds like, yeah, you have, you have a strong pitch to make from a, uh, performance reliability cost perspective, et cetera. How, how challenging is it? Is it proving to or expecting to be um, to convince drivers to make this switch? So I, I think of like the, the consumer perception, for example. So five years ago, I think it would have been very challenging because electric vehicles were so non-prevalent. If they were, I don't think any, I'd have a hard time imagining someone in India would think, yeah, I, I'm, the, I'm going to, to make my vehicle electrified. But uh, how do you think about kind of the perception and the obstacles that you have to overcome in the sales process? Yeah, it's, you know, I actually, I think it's pretty straightforward, you know, just even just doing the market research and going out there, um, talking with the, the e-rickshaw drivers right now. I mean, they're, they're ready for that solution. And, and uh, the dealers are extremely excited about it. And we have a, a whole handful of, of dealers ready to go for, for just that market alone. And 
um, with, uh, you know, I, so I teamed up with Pankaj Dubey. He was uh, running uh, Yamaha and Polaris uh, out in India, um, about 25 years of experience in the light mobility space. So, you know, his, his work over the last year, you know, taking existing relationships and building those up, you know, we have pretty much this instant dealer network ready to go when we're ready to go. So, um, you know, I see the scaling factor is, um, you know, pretty much in line and, and waiting on our solution set to come out, you know, early next year. So, yeah, uh, you know, and again, it's, in, you know, especially in Northern India, you know, the situation with the pandemic is, is kind of helped out the mentality of, of what people want to, to put their, their, you know, what they're, you know, valuing these days. And a lot of it is, you know, cleaning up the, you know, the pollution within North India. I mean, they were able to see the Himalayas for the first time in a long time because no one was out there putting anything into the atmosphere. Right. Yeah. So I think a lot of people were kind of excited about that. And there's a huge push right now to go, you know, electric uh, in country. You, there's fame two subsidies right now in country where, you know, for basically every kilowatt hour of battery that's in a vehicle, they're offering up somewhere around $200. So it's, it's a pretty, pretty good uh, subsidy. So um, yeah, we're, yeah. Again, it's just, I think really optimum uh, market right now to be in. I'd be curious to get your thought on. Uh, so I've heard that this type of an application maybe has a place as well in underserved communities and uh, urban communities in the d- developed world. And I'm, I guess my guess based on your discussion, maybe that's not, not the, uh, not the target for you right now, maybe not even attractive from a volume perspective, but maybe independent of that. Could, could you speak to, uh, I don't know whether you see applications for uh, this type of technology in th- those types of situations? Yeah, no, I, I, I thought about it a lot. I mean, you know, in the, in the beginning stages, I thought about, you know, maybe doing something in the States and then, you know, going into, you know, these emerging markets then with that solution set, just because I was having so much troubles with external funding in the beginning. I mean, like every VC would be like, oh, great, I love what, but I, I, I'm, I, I think it is, a, there is a, a definitely a place for it, especially in, uh, in larger cities, right, where, um, you know, they're only growing and they're, I think, probably going to want to start reducing a lot of traffic within the city limits as well. Right. So, um, I, I think it's a perfect solution for that kind of situation. Right. Um, and making that work again, I, I think currently a sprawl that, you know, most of us live in, and I think something like 70% of all Americans, you know, have a garage they can park their car in and charge overnight and everything else. But, you know, in these, these dense uh, cities, you do have, you know, you don't have that. You have something that's more, more likened to what uh, most uh, Asian, um, you know, cities are like where, or even just in general, right. I think something like half of all people live in apartment complex in, in China. So it's a, you know, very different situation there from, from electrification standpoint, which is, why China is pushing so hard right now for fast charge technology, battery swapping technology, this kind of stuff, and is pretty much paying for it, right? Whereas here in the States, you don't have that same situation. So I really only see like battery swapping working for light mobility, um, like the, you know, motorcycles, scooters, sit down scooters, 
to be clear. And then uh, maybe some fleet type operations. But, uh, you know, beyond that, I think it's going to be a difficult story. Yeah. Why why'd you go with battery swapping as a, so that I think the subscription model makes makes a lot of sense in removing the, the upfront cost. But why would you go with the battery swapping route as opposed to saying, hey, I'm going to lease you this battery that you can have installed and you still need to charge it? Uh, what went into that decision? Yeah, it, it basically is that solution. Um, we see that predominantly the users are going to be charging at their own homes overnight with a, you know, we offer the, the charger solution. Um, I like the aspect of having the, 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 the kiosk as well available there for emergency use cases, corner cases, and people that we would consider heavy users, right? Anyone doing over, you know, 100, 120 kilometers per day, which is, you know, there's a handful of people really going out there and, and getting the work done. But uh, on average, you know, the users are somewhere between 80 and 100 kilometers per day. So how big of a challenge is the electrical grid out there for, for charging? So both in, I guess, accessibility, reliability, and also, I guess, speed. So like, yeah, I, I, the story I like to give is I, ha- I had an, uh, an e-tron for a weekend and I, I charged it in my, uh, in my driveway and I, I got a old garage with a terrible electrical setup. I got like 11 miles in a 12 hour, uh, 12, 12 hour charging time. Exactly. But, but so yeah, what's the, uh, what's the electrical grid look like yeah. in, in India? We've, we've really, we've really optimized our solution around the grid, actually, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot, you know, some, some solutions are out there. They're looking at doing, you know, uh, central locations with high, high volumes of batteries and, and kind of like, you know, replicating the old fuel, you know, you pull up, you're waiting in line and you, you pump your gas, right? I don't, I, I don't see it that way. So we we've designed it. So pretty much you're looking at these kiosks on, you know, you know, close to every corner, right? So we've optimized the power um, requirement for that to be what you can get everywhere within the country. Hmm. Um, And also, again, too, a lot of what our patents are based around, too, is how we also manage that energy. Because you have power outages almost daily in India, somewhere between an hour, you know, 10 minutes to, you know, hour longer, couple hours. So, being able to still offer up your solution to your customers while there's a power outage is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of background of what we're doing internally as well for, you know, offering our solution. Yeah. And how about, I'd also be curious to get your thoughts on uh, the, the overall I don't know, green sustainability aspect of this. So I, I'd preface it by saying independent of how clean the, the grid is, I, th- I think there's a benefit here because it's really the urban, the densely populated urban areas where the, uh, where the pollution is taking place that you'd want to remove that and improve the air quality. So even if you're simply moving emissions from a tailpipe to a power plant down the road, I think there, there's benefit here. Um, but with, with that being said, do you, do you have any thought? I, I can't imagine it's, do you know how most of the electricity is like coal power or how, uh, any idea what the grid looks like? It is. It is. It's a. It's. It's a pretty good mix for India. I think it's somewhere around forty percent coal power, um, a lot of petrol. I think um, I forget the numbers exactly, but it is it is predominantly still fossil fuel based with a small percentage, you know, solar and wind. But there are big pushes right now and a lot of uh, new developments putting solar uh, in for India. So we are. This is another aspect of what we're doing, right? Power Global. Um, you know, looking at how we you know, support, uh, renewables for these, uh, things, because I mean, it's, you know, 
people say, oh, well, you're still getting, you know, like you just mentioned, like you're still getting, you know, this, this dirty fuel basically because your energy is all fossil fuel based. Well, that's, that's true. Right. But it is go a goal to, you know, eliminate that right as well. I mean, it's, it has a pathway, right. To being a fully renewable, clean solution. And so as long as we stay on this path and continue to work through these, these, these uh, challenges, then I think we're good. Right. It's um, otherwise you're just not doing anything. So um, yeah. yeah. And, and like I said, I, I still think even as that's cleaning up, I think there's an interim benefit in just simply relocating the, the emissions to a, a place with fewer people around. Yeah. And I mean, beyond that too, right. I mean, it's, it is taking out a lot of that other secondary pollution aspects. You know, it's not just about CO2 for, for these vehicles, right. Again, the, the PM 2.5, which is a big issue from a, a, a respiratory standpoint. And then also all the other NOx and uh, um, uh, other byproducts, right. Being created. So, you know, and it's, you know, keeping that not, you know, within the streets, right. But somewhere else is, yeah. you know, and yeah. I, I, so, so I personally, I, I, I like electrification. I think it's, it's making some good um, headway across, across the globe. I also, though, I, I tend to think that hybrids and, and such have some good uses for a long time in, in North America and, and Europe and, and parts of Asia, but I don't know, the, the things that make that possible catalytic converters and all the after treatment. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense from a price perspective. I can't imagine in India to have precious metal sitting in your tailpipe. So I, I imagine the, the I can't imagine. Market. Yeah. I can't imagine they would be sitting there for long. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's yeah. a, it's a different world and uh different, different math equation that, that goes into it. And, and it's, it really is. It's all about, uh, you know, for me, you know, we can't have, you know, India is one of the, is one of the largest, if not the largest growing population here on earth with a huge growing middle class. And so, you know, it, I think it's really offering up the right solution for these, uh, for this, for this community. I mean, we can't have another uh, USA on our hands, right. Through India, we would just be, uh, it's just so much waste and so much loss here that, uh, um, it really needs to be like uh, in Africa, like, you know, from a cell phone standpoint, completely bypass the telephone lines, all that stuff, and just went right to cellular, right? I think we need to do that same thing on an energy standpoint, pretty much uh, getting past, uh, you know, the fossil fuel basis. And uh, as the, as the civil, you know, society grows with uh, electrical demands, you know, we provide, you know, clean, clean energy solutions. So, um, and, and Kind of clean everything up as as the society gets uh, more developed. Yeah, maybe a, a little bit more personal. So I, th I think we touched on on some of this, but I'd be curious to get some more of your thoughts. So the I don't know as you were transitioning from the the role you had, you had with SpaceX and, and some of the other roles that you described. What what kind of what did the reflection searching process look for you to try to figure out where, where you wanted what you wanted to do and and how you came across this power global as uh, where you're putting in a lot of your time and effort and money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, you know, for me, it was, um, you know, I think I always kind of knew that this was what I wanted to do. Um, but I, at the same time, I've been always extremely interested in the latest and greatest technology working on that and, and developing that. Um, and so, you know, with the, with my last company, um, you know, we were pretty close to that. We were like, that was kind of the original mission. And, uh, you know, it didn't, uh, didn't quite get to that, that point for me. And so 
um, you know, the inflection point was kind of like, Hey, you know, it was, you know, at this just woke up and I was just like, oh, you know, this is this, I'm totally deviating from where, you know, I originally wanted to go here. And so, um, you know, this is now, you know, I was like, I wanted, I woke, you know, woke up, wrote out a game plan, wrote it all down. It's going to be this, you know, we're a public benefit corporation. We're, you know, 1% for the planet. So all 1% of sales are going to, uh, environmental uh, causes here and then really just uh, you know wanted to create this whole new whole new mindset of of a way to do you know business i think there's a lot of people that kind of crap on capitalism but you know ultimately to me it's just you know you have to have the right kind of capitalism where it's not money driven but service service driven and uh you know you're really here for the benefit of others right and so to me, that's the way it, it, it should work, um, where you're, yep. you know, it's, it's really ultimately the, to me is the ultimate form of capitalism. So, um, and really making society work, um, you know, for you. So, yeah. And maybe this is a part of what you, you alluded to, but like the, uh, electrifications, I think interesting in that if you're, if you're not purpose driven and you're like, yeah, I like electrification and I'm good at developing battery packs, electric drive modules, integrating it all you're going to be working on high performance and super heavy pickup trucks and SUVs because that's, that's where the market is right now for, for North America. Right. And that's where the, the torque that you can get from electric motors is uh, far beyond what you can get from uh, internal combustion engines. You get a lot less people buying like when the Prius came out and people were, you had the option to buy a sustainable vehicle that didn't sell anywhere near as well as the Tesla model S that came out as a right. cool looking vehicle. That's also super fast. So I don't know, maybe roundabout way to say like, uh, yeah, that the technology place and what you're working on makes a big difference. And also having kind of that North star, uh, purpose seems to be critical. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely is. And it's, it has to, it has to be the main driver for your company. In my opinion, I, I just, I think it's so it's not as fulfilling, right. I think ultimately, and you know, I, I I love uh, I love these vehicles. You know, we we got a we got a one of these auto rickshaws in to Pasadena. We're driving this thing around, and everyone I showed you, they're like, "I want one." You know, it's like before you know. So yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's and, and it is a lot of fun looking at the looking at this market and seeing you know because the, there's tons of challenges and and being able to to offer up these solutions that are pretty much existing and right in is like I think it's really awesome. So. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so sure why there's not more people focused on these markets. I, you know, it is, it is kind of, uh, you know, it's a whole nother, whole nother world. Right. But, uh, it's out there and, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, solutions to be had in these, in these markets. So. Yeah. And, and the aggregate impact it doesn't even compare if, if you are able to have success and serve it's, million billions of people. Exactly. And that's, you know, I was, I was reading this book, uh, um, uh, the fortune at the bottom of the pyramid, and it's ultimately, you know, focused on emerging markets and, and really how to, how to create successful businesses out of them. Right. And I think it's, you, you have to let go of, you know, these high margins and realize that it's all about volumes and, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, making a, a solid product that's reliable and uh, that, that perfectly fits the landscape. So, um, so that's what what we're what we're looking at and what we're doing. So, cool. Maybe a transition. So, I like to ask all my all my guests uh, 
favorite book or books of theirs, so whether it's a professional thing or, or, or personal. So anything else that you would mention that uh, you've read that has had a big impact on you? Yeah, there's, there's a, there's a few books that I, uh, you know, I could just go just, I guess, basically sit down in the morning and read all day. Right. I think pretty much anything, uh, sci-fi, I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan. So, um, I get completely lost in pretty much anything that, uh, he writes. So I'm not familiar with what's the, uh, any big Philip K. Dick did a lot of like the, the, basically a lot of the, the, original stories like behind like minority report uh and all these other kind of uh sci-fi movies that came yeah. out but uh he's extremely sci-fi but more like from an intellectual standpoint that's kind of closer to like a, a black mirror standpoint than anything yeah. else you know like uh here's kind of what the future looks like but from a, a psychological standpoint so um less on the less on the tech side but i, I love the tech stuff too so yeah, I'm super excited about, uh, you know, the, let's see how this latest rendition of Dune, you know, makes yeah. it, I'm a big fan of the Dune series as well. So yeah, t- tough to adopt to a screen, but yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's interesting though, how many, uh, I, I should go back and put together a pie chart or something, but the amount of, um, especially CEO, CTO, um, people who I talk to who sci-fi is the, by far the, the topic that they bring up as the, the type of books that they read, definitely a theme there. Cool. So yeah, uh, no, I, I like to joke with yeah, I like to joke with some of my employees that uh, we're actually doing this because I believe that in order for humanity to be spacefaring, we have to have a certain level of standards that we can that we have to have globally before we can actually move to, to space. So um, we're we're actually supporting the space uh, mission here. Oh, nice. Yeah, round round the way about way back to your uh, SpaceX days. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Porter, I think really really fun. I think it's it's cool to hear about what you're doing. I mean, I. Uh, yeah, learned a lot about this uh, this market, and I think I'm excited to see how you guys progress. Uh, I guess with that being said, kind of open floor. Is there anything we missed? Any any key messages that you want to make sure people get across? Uh, any place you want to send? Uh, I'll have your website and LinkedIn page and and etc. But uh, yeah, anything you want to say? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest one is that uh, you know electrification is really just at its infancy and. There's a whole other world out there other than doing, uh, you know, platforms and, and trucks and everything else, right? There's there's uh, just uh, so many other solutions to be had, uh, you know, from a global standpoint. And all you really have to just, uh, you know, take the risk and, and go out into these markets and see where it, where it takes you. Um, is, uh, it's, you know, the world is a, a very small place, but... Uh, yeah. Really appreciate it. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, we're hiring by the way. So we're looking at about three hundred percent growth rate over the, over the next year. So that would be technical roles. Yeah, all 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 technical for the most part, and engineering, and then in India, across the board, engineering, manufacturing, um, all that good stuff. So very cool. Well, Porter, like I said, th- thank you very much. Bet best of luck to you, and uh, yeah, definitely be following along. Yeah, I really appreciate Brandon. Good talking with you. Thanks. The Future Mobility Podcast is brought to you by FEV. For more than 40 years, FEV has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry. With a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. 
If you want to learn more or get in contact to share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.